0: I'm Philip Tolley and this week's Insight explores the future of work in the face of increasing automation. As much as 46% of New Zealand jobs could be at risk over the next 20 years because of advances in technology. Headlines predict the end of work as we know it. 65% of children at primary school now will go on to jobs in the future that don't even exist yet. So, is enough preparation underway to face this rapid change in the economy and the workforce? When I grow up, I want to be a police lady. I want to be a scientist. I would like to be an archaeologist when I grow up and find dinosaur bones. I want to be an underwater bus driver. I want to be a
1: teacher. When I grow up, I would like to be a nurse. I want to be a lawyer.
2: Children from Bayswater Primary School can list the sort of jobs they want to do now, but in the years to come, many just won't exist. Not all the roles will disappear completely, but it's likely they will change significantly because of automation and technological advances. It's difficult to imagine, but a quick look to the past shows how quickly jobs can change or even become obsolete. Switchboard operators and lift attendants, for example, had a relatively short shelf life employment wise. Milkmen and typing pools went the same way. The way we go about everyday tasks is constantly changing, which means jobs have to adapt. Please scan and bag your items. Select from favourites or look up item alphabetically. The internet has revolutionized how we find our information.
3: Siri, do I have anything on my schedule?
4: Okay, Mohammed, I found five appointments.
3: Siri, is it going to rain tomorrow?
4: It sure looks like it's going to rain tomorrow.
2: In 2014, an Oxford University study listed occupations that were most at risk from automation. Among them were telemarketeers, paralegals, sports umpires and hand sewers. But in 2016... Experts say that high-skilled careers like doctors, lawyers and accountants are also at risk. I'm Joanna McKenzie and in this insight I ask if New Zealand is ready for the fourth industrial revolution and how we should prepare for the future.
5: I foresee that the managers of businesses in the future will virtually do away with their desk. They will have a computer terminal.
2: Some predictions from an InSight programme way back in 1977. Those interviewed were adamant. Computers were here to stay and there was no going back for banks or airline booking systems. So the subject of change is nothing new for the workforce or radio programmes. But what is it about the automation and the digital revolution in 2016 that makes it different from the past?
3: The rate of change of technological displacement is faster than the rate at which people can either organise themselves or uh, be educated to get good jobs uh, when they lose the old ones.
2: Robert Reich is a public policy professor at the University of Berkeley. He was also Bill Clinton's Secretary of Labour and previously worked in Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter's administrations. During a recent trip to New Zealand, he said people need to think about work in a totally different way.
3: We're not talking about careers any longer because the old career had very standard and uh, well-established paths attached to it so you knew where you were likely to be in three years or eight years or ten years. No, the the careers are gone Uh, and what makes it so both exciting and intimidating is that people are going to have to be navigating for themselves much more through a landscape that is unknown and unknowable at this point. The writer George Eliot cautioned us that among all forms of mistake, prophecy is the most gratuitous. The person that we would all acknowledge...
2: economist Andrew McAfee in 2013, making his TED talk "Are Droids Taking Our Jobs?" He went on to ignore George Eliot's warning and predict that science fiction is closer than we think. Since his TED Talk and the publication of his books, the likes of the World Economic Forum, the OECD, McKinsey and PwC, along with many other organisations and governments, have all looked into the future of work. The message from this huge body of research is clear. Change is coming fast and people will need new skills for a future that will include much more technology and the automation of routine tasks. In one study by three McKinsey Global Institute Directors, it was estimated that compared with the Industrial Revolution, change is now happening 10 times faster and at 300 times the scale, with roughly 3,000 times the impact. Figures like that gave the chartered accountants of Australia and New Zealand serious food for thought. At their recent business forum conference in Auckland, one of the main objectives was to deliver participants skills and knowledge needed to adapt and thrive in a rapidly changing business landscape. The association is very keen on thinking about the future, particularly in the light of findings from a study it did with the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research. In a survey for the report, almost three-quarters of accountants in New Zealand felt their jobs were at risk from automation. At the conference, I asked Lee White, the chief executive, what the challenges are. Will it be the number of jobs available or the type of work they'll be doing?
4: Probably all of the above and a few more aspects, and and that's not said in a flippant way, but it does mean that a range of dynamics are changing, coming from different themes or trends, and so therefore it might affect supply, it might affect demand, and it certainly will affect the nature of what the work looks like in the future.
2: Lee White says technology is the biggest trend that will affect accountancy, but also demographics and globalisation. He remains confident for the future of chartered
4: accountants. Businesses will continue to grow. Some will cease and others will come in. And all of those businesses will need um, um, the direct involvement of chartered accountants in their success. Whether it's in being inside the business and driving it internally, whether it's being advisors to those businesses, whether it's the auditors of those businesses, all of that will still occur. And if I wasn't optimistic about our, um, our profession, I wouldn't be optimistic about the prosperity of this country, and I am.
2: Auckland's Khyber Pass Road is home to the Employers and Manufacturers Association. Its chief executive, Kim Campbell, shows me around its brand new premises.
6: And the entrance to um, our training centre um, where we can accommodate up to 370 people and we run... His training drive courses. to make the EMA a hub in Auckland
2: was to make sure the association is ready for the future. A nice it's a light, airy, modern building with green credentials. He says the EMA and its members are well-placed to weather any fast-paced industrial revolution.
6: Every generation, there's a new set of challenges. This organisation has learned to adapt. Interestingly, it continues to grow, but the demographic of the membership changes, and we're seeing, for instance, that there's not so many very large employers uh, when I was growing up, you know, you had big old factories churning out things with thousands of people coming to work in the morning and going home. Uh, with the new technology, so, so much busy work is disappearing. I mean, it, even in, in office environments, it just works is disappearing has been done by, by robots and computers.
2: But Mr Campbell says the worker of the future will need a certain skill set to help them navigate through several different careers and jobs.
6: Soft skills are really important in a changing world, and, and certainly when we survey our members, what are they looking for? For What makes you ready for work? Well, do you get along well with other people? Are you prepared to be comfortable with other cultures? Uh, can you work in a team well? Do you work productively towards set goals? Are you able to, to learn new skills, and are you willing to, to change as, pe- as things change? Are you flexible in your attitudes to things, and are you motivated as an individual? These things are sort of hard to measure, but, boy, are they really important in building a career.
2: Training and skills for the future are also a major focus for the Council of Trade Unions. Its president, Richard Wagstaff, agrees with the EMA that soft skills are essential for workers switching careers because their jobs may cease or change. But he wants companies and individuals to shift the way they think about education – and understand that it has to continue throughout a person's life.
5: One of the first things we need to do is actually learn how to learn throughout our lives, because for a lot of people, that's not something that they've necessarily been, you know, become adept at doing. We also, um, there is a, a, a strong view that the kinds of skills, flexible skills, are not just learning facts and highly specialised skills, but they're more about learning um, higher level things that can be applied to a range of circumstances as life and work changes rapidly.
2: The CTU says New Zealand companies have to up their game when it comes to on the job training. Training for workers to keep their skills relevant Richard Wagstaff says because New Zealand hasn't focused enough on training companies now rely too heavily on immigration he wants to see that change
5: we've identified the workplace as being a particular weakness currently um, in, in New Zealand workplaces there's just not the focus on you know we tend to be um, try to buy skilled people off the shelf rather than investing in our own people um, you know for us Future change has to be investing in the, you know, saying to our workforce now and to New Zealanders now, you know, we've we've got a big, we're going through a, a big change, we're going to keep going through a big change, we're going to do this together and we're going to make sure we look after each other in the future. Um, that's the kind of approach we'd like to see firms taking, that's the kind of approach we'd like to see government taking and, you know, we can do this but it need, that's, that's what will bring a confidence.
2: Auckland Port has many of the goods manufactured in New Zealand pass through its gates and out into the world. Dieter Adam from the New Zealand Manufacturers and Exporters Association says manufacturing has experienced a lot of hard times over the last few years. He says the skill shortage proves the focus must be on training the current workers as well as appropriately educating the future workforce.
1: I don't want to sound alarmist, but it's... My feeling is that we're not taking the skills problem seriously enough. Uh, Immigration is part of an answer to that. It can't be the only answer.
2: Dieter Adams wants a big emphasis on getting students interested in STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering and maths. He says New Zealand's education system, while good, lets young people drop these subjects too soon. He says if students leave school without a good grounding in maths or sciences it's unlikely they'll go back to them later in their careers.
1: We've gone from about 240,000. We had a dip during the GFC down to around 220, and now we're slowly creeping up again. In Dunedin, over the same period, uh, manufacturing jobs have halved from 8,000 to 4,000. And when you talk to people who are still hanging in there, they will tell you that the the manufacturing ecosystem is, is about to fall apart. So it's little things like uh, finding people with the right skills locally, finding subcontractors locally, finding people, three-phase electricians, for example, people who can service certain parts of machinery that you don't find in the household. This is all getting difficulty and difficult and then people saying, well... I just have to shift my production to Christchurch, so when we talk about a, a national manufacturing strategy I think regional economic development it should be must be an important part of it.
2: The loss of jobs in Dunedin also concerned academics from Otago University's business school. Dr Sarah Walton was part of a group who looked into the future of work back in 2012. The aim was to get business leaders thinking about where the city was going
7: in 2012 in Dunedin particularly that we're in a bit of a slump and there was lots of um, layoffs and issues coming through the media about you know, what was going to happen in Dunedin and what would we have left when these businesses were closing and the likes of Invermay was at one of the big... Um, issues of the time so it was kind of like what is going to be the future we don't seem to be thinking much about it we've got some big issues around resource scarcity around climate change but yet we actually seem to be um, tracking along like everything's going to be the same as what it is today and so I thought it'd be really interesting to see if we could start to get um, a community and through business leaders and community leaders to start thinking about the future.
2: From their survey they came up with two possible scenarios of what the city would look like in 2030 one positive, one negative. The positive future had less reliance on the university for jobs and more people working in caring and innovative industries. But when it came to thinking about what the workplace of the future was like, Dr Walton says the businesses weren't very clear.
7: We found that in general when we asked lots of questions about what work would be like, they came back fairly um, benign in many ways. So sort of what we expected, what you hear about flexibility, adaptivity, globalisation, but not anything particularly sort of um, radical. But then we asked the three things that kept people awake at night, and that's where we got really interesting responses, where we had like um, financial stability, where we had the climate change, the resource scarcity, and those kind of bigger, wider issues coming into actually. So I think there's different levels in which people conceptualise the issues about the future. And, that, and the workplace, people often can't see that changing hugely radically, but yet actually they see all these things coming. But I'm not sure how we can... How It's hard to relate that back to the workplace.
2: One high-tech company that's at the cutting edge of automation in several industries is Scott Technology, also based in Dunedin. The company was established in 1913, but in 2001 had the foresight to diversify into high-tech manufacturing like automated meat processing. The machines and robots use X-ray and vision cameras to position carcasses before making cuts. Its general manager, Andrew Arnold, says the technology can displace people, but it often doesn't have a negative effect on staffing levels.
5: Traditionally, the meat companies tend to be in rural areas where the labour is difficult to get, so they find it difficult to fully staff plants. So any staff which this machinery replaces in terms of the boning room typically get relocated into other areas in the boning room and help them with their shortfall and labour, so there's no staff really dislodged at all.
2: Andrew Arnold says one of the biggest issues for his company continues to be getting the right people with the right
5: skills. We've changed what we, the people we employ and the skills they've got. We've got PhDs now which, and we employ PhDs for some of the stuff we're doing with x-ray and with visioning and we never probably expected that five or ten years ago. It's skill sets and the opportunities in those high-end areas, and you've got to be very capable at those to be successful.
2: The question, then, is how to engage children in science, maths and technology while also teaching soft skills like creativity, collaboration and problem solving. Uh,
0: welcome to the minor, guys. First of all, hands up. you has been to one before. Ooh.
2: Year seven and eight students from Auckland's Alfriston School are settling down to a session at MindLab, run by Unitech in Newmarket. The lab takes a digital and collaborative approach to learning and was
0: founded by education futurist Francis Valentine. The biggest issue we have right now is that there isn't a widely held acceptance of the speed at which change is happening. So if you look at exponential technologies, and there's a number of them, everything from 3D printing to autonomous cars right through to new forms of energy and artificial intelligence and virtual reality. All of these things are actually converging right now. They've got 20 years of research history, so they're not new in the scheme of technology. But what's changed them is that the computer processing that you need to really make these things effective and to scale, has really just hit in the last 12 months. And so we're seeing the impact and convergence of these technologies very rapidly. About 40,000 children visit Mind
2: Labs around the country each year. Frances Valentine started MindLab because she felt children were becoming passive consumers of technology, but not necessarily great inventors. She wants children to get back under the bonnet of technology to really
0: understand how it works. If you are teaching children to learn the answer, actually those core capabilities that you need to problem solve in a world that's constantly changing, they won't have because it's The fixed answer is no longer the valued um, aspect of education. We we can Google the answer, actually how you get there, how you actually navigate good information from poor information, how you understand what it is that the process is or the formula that you need to get there, how do you collaborate or find someone who can can help extend your learning. It's the same thing with an industry. We find people who can take what we need to do or we need to solve, whether we find them in-house or whether we bring in specialists. We absolutely need to make sure that our children, regardless of their age, actually understand that the process of learning and that cognitive development is actually more important than the final answer and the assessment that they pass.
2: But STEM subjects or technical careers are not for everyone. And many other subjects are being taken by students such as these at Massey University's Albany campus. The pro-vice-chancellor of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, Paul Spoonley, is keenly aware the qualifications some students are studying will bear little resemblance to the work they do later in life. He says that's why they need to include resilience and soft skills in their teaching.
8: Do we know what the jobs are likely to be in the future? No, we don't. So what we need to do is we need to produce skills which are in demand, so soft skills... Four out of five of us are now employed in the service sector in New Zealand. That's people-to-people jobs, so we need a lot of soft skills in a way that we probably didn't need in the past. And we need skills that will be transferable around a labour market which is going to require big changes from the people who are working in it.
2: He says the linear career path is long
8: gone. People should anticipate making five to eight major job changes in a working life in the 21st century. And that's not going from employer to employer, it's actually fundamentally changing what you do. And we can see the negative impacts of that already in the labour market. There are groups who had skills which were in demand 20 30 years ago, which are no longer in demand, and they've struggled to work out what they should do to get back into the labour market. So we put a strong emphasis on soft skills, which are required, and on transferable skills in anticipation of very big changes occurring.
2: Paul Spoonley says those changes are going to be keenly felt by those who are already struggling to find a place in the workforce. The number of 15 to 24-year-olds not in education, employment or training, the so-called NEAT demographic, is well above 80,000. This group has been the focus of the aptly titled Future of Work Programme at AUT.
9: Okay, let's make a start. So, today is
2: last... Associate Professor Gail Pacheco is its director. She says the vulnerable group are likely to fall further behind in the future and there will be less opportunity for them to gain vital skills.
9: They're lacking experience, and we hear employers constantly say that uh, when they're looking at hiring people, they are much rather hire someone with experience, so they're more likely to lose out on jobs because they don't have enough of a history of experience to show. Um, and I think it's really important, especially at those younger ages, 16 to 19, getting experience just to uh, build up your work knowledge or work ethic, so even if it's not building up specific knowledge about the job, per se, because you might that job might not exist in a few years and you might need to move to and retrain to a new industry, but just building up the ethic of what does it mean to work a full-time job and what's required and building your soft skills of working with different people, working in a group.
2: Both Gail Pacheco and Paul Spoonley also see another problem arising from New Zealand's Employment Protection Legislation, they say it tends to assume old models of employment that are fast becoming irrelevant.
9: New Zealand already has quite a loose employment protection legislation compared to the rest of the OECD. I think we're third or fourth in terms of looseness of our legislation. So we don't have much more room to move in that space, so we're already quite flexible. In that way, that's quite good for employers because that means we can respond more to demands and changing and fluctuations in demand. But another aspect, we need to make sure that we're not so flexible that uh, there may be negative impacts for the most vulnerable
8: workers.
2: Paul Spoonley says employment policies are not the only ones that need to be reviewed as a matter of urgency.
8: If we need to backfill, if we need to say we need to have a different education policy because there's something coming on the horizon which is going to fundamentally change what employers are going to need in terms of graduates from a university or a polytechnic or a secondary school. We need to anticipate that plan for it and change our institutions. And I think our ability to forecast where we're going and what we'll need to get there is actually quite poor.
2: The Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment is well aware of the many concerns academics, businesses and people have about the future. Stephen Joyce is cautious when it comes to doomsday
3: predictions. There's going to be some change to jobs, as we've seen historically. Uh, it The pace will probably accelerate a bit, um, but our, my understanding is that the OECD is about to come out with some numbers which are considerably smaller, having done their own review of what they expect to happen.
2: Stephen Joyce says New Zealand's employment rate is the third highest in the OECD and jobs, even low-skilled, will continue to grow. He admits that will level off and most growth will be in the medium to high-skilled areas, but he's optimistic for the regions.
3: Regionally, um, uh, employment growth has been strong. Uh, One of the interesting, um, if you like, uh, misconceptions about some parts of regional New Zealand is that when they have relatively high levels of unemployment, that they have a, a shortage of jobs. In many cases, you go to the same region, like Northland, for example, and there's plenty of employers, large employers, who will say they can't get people. That's a skills mismatch, and we're doing a lot of work in that space in individual regions to try and um, arrange that match better with things like hospitality training and all that sort of thing.
2: But the Labour Party says the government's approach to preparing workers for the future is piecemeal it's created its own Future of Work commission that's led by finance spokesperson Grant Robertson.
3: There is enormous opportunity in the future of work for people to create their own businesses, to be able to use technology, to have customers all over the world, but those people you know, who already have those skills will do well. Those who lack those skills will fall further behind. And One of the main drivers for us undertaking this project has been to say we want the future of work to be one where, where everyone has a shot at decent work a- and the risk is that inequality will grow if we simply leave it to the market to work out what happens next.
2: The Labour Party's research is being done over a two-year period and will culminate in a final report later this year. Grant Robertson says it's already clear to him where the focus needs to be for preparing New Zealand for the future.
3: Every conversation about the future of work comes back to education and training and you know the first thing we need to do is make sure that the school system is, is in a shape to be able to produce people that will, will be adaptable and resilient and able to take up the opportunities. We think that requires a bit of a rethink around many aspects of the school system including a, the obsession that we've got at the moment with, with standardised assessment. We need to shift that towards making sure we're developing the potential of each individual student. We need to make Make sure that every student leaving high school has a plan for what happens next. At the moment we've got 87,200 young people uh, who are not in employment, education or training. That is a real risk factor.
2: The government says it already has policies to help people who want to retrain later in life and to increase interest in STEM subjects with a programme called Curious Minds. Back at the Mind Lab by Unitech where New Zealand's workers of the future are experimenting with robotics and animation. Frances Valentine says policy needs to go further.
0: She says for a period of rapid change, it's time to take more risks. We need to have policymakers actually been almost taking the brakes off completely and throwing a lot more risk and less caution into the wind and saying... We know change is happening. We can't predict what's going to happen in 10 years. We can almost predict what may happen in the next two or three. So let's really make it... A, a, a policies are much more flexible and adaptable and reflective of some of the really amazing modelling and forecasting that's already happening based upon known technologies. And until such time we take the brakes off, I think we're going to keep saying, well, it's not going to happen to me, it's going to happen to my neighbour or the person down the road, but not, not not me, I'm going to be immune from this. And for those industries where the change has already happened, the common thread between all of them is I didn't see how fast it would happen or how irrelevant my schools were if I was you know, going back into the marketplace.
2: I'm Joanna McKenzie, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch, it would be great to hear from you. Our email is insight at or post a tweet. Our handle is at InsightRNZ. The archive material from the 1970s was supplied by Nataonga Sound and Vision. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Tolley with technical production by William Saunders.